Hi, my name's Sarah, and the Old Testament reading is found in Ecclesiastes 5, 1-2. Watch your step when you enter God's house. Enter to learn. That's far better than mindlessly offering a sacrifice, doing more harm than good. Don't shoot off your mouth or speak before you think. Don't be too quick to tell God that what you think he wants you to hear. God's in charge, not you. The less you speak, the better. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Becca. The New Testament reading is found in Revelations 4, 1 and 5, verse 1 through 5. After this, I looked, and there was a door that had been opened in heaven. The first voice that I heard, which sounded like a trumpet, said to me, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one seated on the throne. It had writing on the front and the back, and it was sealed with seven seals. I saw a powerful angel who proclaimed in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or look inside it. So I began to weep and weep because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside it. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has emerged victorious so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. My name's Nate. Please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew, verses, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. And when you pray, you must not like, be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The Gospel of the Lord. <laughs> it's a great, you're like, thanks be to God or praise be to our Lord Christ. It's praise be to our Lord Christ. So shall we say it? <laughs> praise be to our Lord Christ. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this day and we thank you for your word to us and we thank you for the joy of gathering here out in creation and being reminded of your greatness. And Lord, we pray that you give us eyes to see because we want to see Jesus today. And we pray that you give us ears to hear because we want to hear Jesus today. And Lord, we pray that you give us hearts to understand and to love and to follow Jesus today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, we're in this series on the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's only slightly appropriate since Ecclesiastes talks so much about life under the sun, and uh, being under the sun is something we can all relate to this morning. But this book of Ecclesiastes is one of those strange ones that you aren't sure why it really belongs in the Bible or if it really belongs in the Bible because it has so, um, so much frustration that's expressed in it. It can even seem to some like there's maybe even a, a cynicism that's in it. But really what Ecclesiastes does is a couple things. One, it confronts our optimism. Sometimes we just sort of hear the cheery, optimistic words from people around us that say, everything's going to be okay, life is wonderful, it's all happy. And those of us that have just lived just a little long enough to know that that's not quite true, we've trouble believing that. 
And Ecclesiastes says, yeah, are you sure everything is awesome? Are you sure it's all that good? But Ecclesiastes also doesn't let us fall quite in the pit of cynicism. It redeems our cynicism. It gives us somewhere to point our cynicism. In other words, Ecclesiastes makes us question uh, all of the things that we thought were good and wonderful in life and says, look, is this it? Is this all there is or is there something behind it? Is there something beyond it? This morning, very briefly here, we're going we're gonna to look at what happens when you come to the limits, not just of pleasure, not just of work, not just of companionship, all the things we've talked about so far, but what happens when you come to the limits of yourself? your own finiteness. We've talked about death. We've talked about things that we can't understand. We've talked about toil and sweat and time. We've talked about all these different things, but really all of those things combine to remind us that we ourselves are finite, that we have limitations. There's something that we can't comprehend. There's things that we can't control. There's things that we can't grasp. There's things that we can't change. We can't change the weather. We can't change a certain things about our circumstances in our lives. And the question that arises in Ecclesiastes 5 this morning is, what do you do about the things that you cannot change? And moreover, how do you approach God? If you believe in God, how do you approach this God about the things in life that you cannot change? The text is just two verses. It's the first two verses of Ecclesiastes 5, and it says this, Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that what they are doing is evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. And then here's the phrase, For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Let's say this together. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. And then he says, let your words be few. This is the reflection of the teacher saying, look, when you come up against limitations, number one, don't talk. Don't be quick to to talk. And one of the things he's saying here is he says, "Don't, don't offer the sacrifice of fools. What's the sacrifice of fools It's the idea that we can manipulate God. Maybe you've heard preachers say things like that. Well, if you give this amount of money, I can guarantee you your healing. Or maybe you've heard people say, look, if you do this, you're going to be blessed and this will happen and this will happen. Those are the sacrifices of fools. The vain attempts to say, I can come into the house of God and I can do something, act in a particular way, be good enough, be righteous enough, be generous enough, be kind enough to twist God's arm. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes says, no, you can't. When you come before God, you might as well be quiet because there's nothing you can do. It's interesting, so far in this book, he's talked about lots of things under the sun But he hasn't yet talked about the house of God. The teacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes is by tradition Solomon. And so it is this person who does believe, has some measure of faith in their covenant God. And yet this is his first time talking about what they do. Temple worship, sacrifices. This is his first time really mentioning some of that. In the Jewish tradition, heaven was this way of speaking about God's space. 
So not like, you know, shoot a rocket up into the sky and there you go, you'll find God. Not like that. But this overlapping sphere. Heaven was a shorthand way of saying there's an overlapping sphere that we cannot see, but this is where God is. And from the Jewish perspective, heaven was a way of saying this is, if we could just see what God sees, everything would be different. In fact, one of the psalmists Psalm 73, the psalmist says, I was beginning to despair. I thought that wicked people prospered and righteous people suffered and that there was no meaning to it. He's starting to sound like the teacher in Ecclesiastes. And then he says, I was envious of the, of the, of the arrogant and their prosperity. But then when I thought how to understand this, I went to the sanctuary of God and then I saw the light. The psalmist says, look, the the place of worship is the place where all of a sudden we begin to see heaven and earth come together. It's interesting because for us, we think about heaven as this faraway place, but they saw heaven as this overlapping space. And at certain points, like in the temple, it was an interlocking space. There were a few moments where heaven and earth met, where heaven and earth joined. And for the Jews, the temple was one of those places. It was this place where heaven and earth met. And the psalmist says, when I come to the temple, that's when all of a sudden the questions and the problems of my life on earth meet the perspective of heaven. The problems of earth meet the perspective of heaven. And the psalmist says, I don't have the answers, but somehow when I came into the sanctuary, I began to think it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. This is exactly what happens, we heard the New Testament reading in the book of Revelation, this is exactly what happens to John. John sees persecution, John sees an evil Roman Empire that's oppressing the followers of Jesus, and John then gets caught up in this vision in heaven, and what he sees is, you know what, Caesar's not the real king, Jesus is the real king. And John all of a sudden sees, wait a minute, the saints are being martyred, but the saints are the ones that will be vindicated in the end and wait a minute it was the lamb who was slain but it's the lamb who was slain who now reigns over all john gets caught up into heaven and begins to see life on earth differently friends one of the reasons we gather every week with the people of god to worship is to remind ourselves that god is in heaven and we are on earth what does that mean for us It means very simply that God sees more than we see. It means God knows more than we know. It means God understands more than we understand. It means our power is limited. It means our presence is limited. It means our perspective is limited. It means all of those things are bounded. But God, God is unbounded. God's presence fills the earth. God's power is strong God's perspective is grand and wide. See, I think when we come to the edges of ourselves, we really have two choices. The first choice is to say, I'm going to control my life somehow. And I'm going to use God to control my life. Maybe the word for this is religion. Religion that says, okay, okay, I'll be a good person, I'll come to church, I'll do all the things, I'll sign up for prayer meeting, I'll even serve in children's ministry, I'll do all the right things, because if I do all the right things, I can control God to make my life go well. 
when we feel like we've reached the limits of our own power, we're, we are always tempted to try to control God. We're always tempted to do it, to come to church, to do something religious to control God. But the teacher in Ecclesiastes has another answer for us. He says, when you come to the limits of yourself, that's when you begin to worship God. That's when you begin to worship God. That actually coming to your limits is a way of saying, there is more here than I understand. There's more here than I know. There's mystery. And mystery can lead us to humility. And humility can lead us to worship. That's the beauty of coming to this place to worship. To all of a sudden say, wait a minute, I'm limited, I'm bounded, I'm finite, I don't see it all, I can't control it all, but God is in heaven and here we are on earth, therefore let my words be few. I don't need to say much, I surrender to the mystery of who God is. Friends, when you think about who our God is, today is Trinity Sunday. Many preachers have have sort of spent Trinity Sunday trying to make it an attempt to sort of explain God. It's a mistake, right? One even classic horrific sort of mistake was to try to explain the Trinity by the three branches of government, you know? Sort of Trinity Sunday meets Memorial Day, you know? The Trinity is one of those Statements that we confess about who our God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's a mystery we can't comprehend, but it's a mystery about God's sovereignty and about God's love. In the Trinity, we see a picture of a God who is sovereign over all, the Father who started it all, the Son through whom all things were made, and the Spirit who is the Lord, the giver of life. And all of a sudden you realize, I'm surrounded I'm surrounded. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I'm surrounded. But that that may not be good news on its own, right? Unless we also say that in the Trinity, we see a God who is self-giving love, yielding, giving, submitting, loving. Then all of a sudden, you say, wait a minute, I'm surrounded. And I'm surrounded by the God who loves me. I'm surrounded by the God who loves me. The gospel tells us that the God in heaven didn't stay in heaven. The gospel tells us more than what Solomon knew. Solomon could just stop short and say, God is in heaven, you're on earth, so just be quiet. The gospel says, but the God of heaven came down to earth, was born of a virgin, became man, suffered death. For our sake he was crucified, buried And on the third day, he was raised up. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father. He reigns, and he gave us the Spirit. Friends, the gospel says to us that it's not just a God way up in heaven that you got to just sort of be quiet and just be quiet and trust him. But the, the God who reigns in heaven is the God who came to earth. The God who reigns in heaven is the God who came to earth, who suffered with you, who knows your pain, who himself in his own life on earth had his own questions that he looked upward and asked. My God, why have you forsaken me? Can this cup pass? 
The God who is in heaven is the God who came down to earth, who knows your pain, who carried all of your sins, all of your shame, so that we might know him. Amen? Did you bow your heads this morning? For some of you, it's a reminder this morning to say, God, when I come to the edges of myself, lead me again to worship you. Lead me again to worship you for who you are, for your grace, for your love, for your kindness. For others of you, this might be the very moment that you surrender for the first time. You say, I don't know, I've, I've had a pretty lousy life on earth. I've had lots of things that have led me to the edges They've brought me to the end of myself. Things I'm questioning, things I'm asking, things I don't understand. And maybe today is the day that for the first time you say, what if the God who is in heaven is the God who came to earth? Jesus Christ. The one who gave his life for us. The one who died for our sins. The one who was raised to restore our life. The one who lives to make you whole.